0: I am so excited to introduce all of you to Dr. H. Wallace Goddard, but nobody calls him that. He's Wally Goddard to everybody who meets him, instant best friends, and just so grateful that he's here with us today on the podcast to spend time teaching us some important truths. And I'll just say before I read you his formal introduction that Wally and his wife hold a very special place in my heart and and also my wife's. I give him a lot of credit, even though I get like all of our personal journeys and career journeys are complicated. Wally was a real turning point for me in my, my life, my direction at uh, age 22, 23 years old when my wife and I moved next door to him and his wife, Nancy, back in Provo when I was at BYU. And it was there that I actually discovered that I had a love for marriage and family and all these things that he was, he was there in Provo working uh, for Stephen Covey, helping him write his book. And one thing led to another and I, it became very clear to me that I wanted to work with these things the rest of my life and ended up choosing a career in marriage and family therapy. And as they say, the rest is history Twenty five, oh, 24 years later. So I'm grateful for that introduction to this world and it's blessed me both personally and professionally. And I know it's also been a blessing to a lot of people, you know, beyond, you know, imagination. Wally's had a huge impact on lots of lives. So. Wally, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little formal introduction here, if that's okay, and then we'll Great. we'll jump right in. So Wally Goddard served as a professor of family life in both Arkansas and Alabama, and he develops programs on parenting, marriage, youth development, family relations, and he is well-known for his many creative and effective books and programs. He's written even a children's book recently called God's Trophies, and he's been a columnist on Meridian Magazine since its inception back in 1998, and he's got incredible content there. If you ever want to be uplifted and edified, he's got some great articles there. And he's also co-authored or authored several books, including Drawing Heaven into Your Marriage, Soft-Spoken Parenting, and teamed up with The Widow of Haim Ganat, and they reissued Between Parent and Child, which is a classic. And he's written also textbooks on family life education. And like I said earlier, he also helped Stephen Covey write The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, which is what brought him back to Provo. And Wally and his wife Nancy, they have three adult children, 14 grandchildren, and they have cared for over 20 foster children in their almost 50 years of marriage. And so I think actually, Wally, an introduction on you could be an entire podcast. I think there's a lot to say <laughs> about not only what you've not only what you've accomplished, but also just who you are. And and listeners, you probably don't know this, but Wally has one of the only PhDs in Mexican food that I'm aware of. So,
1: <laughs> yep, Mexican food joy. Oh, I, my goodness. I, you should I'm see. I'm a continuing this. student.
0: <laughs> His dissertation on chips and salsa is something to behold. I'll tell you what. Oh, Jeff. Oh, my it's great goodness. To, to be with you. <laughs> so, Wally, thank you for taking time and being here with us. It's a pleasure. We've spent a lot of years laughing and talking and crying and just enjoying all the richness of what the, the gospel offers and great research on marriage and families and human relationships and I'm just so grateful for our association all these years and but today we're gonna to talk about happiness. When I thought yeah, about I yeah when I thought about having you on the podcast, Wally, I thought, well, Wally is probably one of the happiest people I know, so maybe we should ask him to come talk about <laughs> happiness. And so and you've done a lot of your own research on this. And so in terms of setting this up today, Wally, I, I know that a lot of the the listeners on this podcast and people who might be listening, you know, are definitely experiencing a huge hit to their happiness. And they've been in many cases struggling with addictions, struggling with the impact of addictions and trauma betrayal. And there have been some very dark days and we don't want to make light of that. And and I know just from my own personal experience, well, even though that, you know, you are, you know, a very happy person, you've also experienced, you know, your own bouts of struggle and depression and other things like that in your life. And you're no stranger to real human suffering nor am i and so we recognize and want to validate all of you out there listening that we can talk about all these things simultaneously and we have to we can validate and honor the struggle we can validate and recognize how real and hard and raw these things are and how life is not fair and and it's just messy and at the same time we have to let the light crack through and we have to find a way out of it and that's what i want to talk about today is just the science of happiness and really plow into some of the the literature on positive psychology and what researchers have found and researchers as you've taught me Wally are some of the most pessimistic and realistic people out there <laughs> and yet they've Very stumbled cynical. yeah and they've and they've stumbled on some really powerful truths about happiness so yes so Wally let's dive right in let's talk about happiness and why it's a challenge for us why we miss it and let's go into one of your great resources the blueprint for happiness so I'll let you just start off Thanks Jeff.
1: You know, about 1998, Martin Seligman, as president of of the American Psychological Association, speaking at the conference, said, uh, hey, fellow psychologists, we've gotten really good at addressing and dealing with problems, but we've done a really poor job of helping people flourish. So we pull people out of the mud, but we leave them uh, all muddy and messy by the side of the road. He said, let's do something more than that. When we've gotten people out of the mud... Let's then get them cleaned up and put a smile on their face and point them in a good direction. But let's do it based on the discoveries of science. So Seligman's book, Authentic Happiness, is an attempt to summarize what we know about positive psychology. Having thrown out that challenge to the field, he himself led the way by writing that book. And he came up with what I think would say are five distinct practices that can make a difference, five different things we can do that'll increase our happiness. And I think those are worth talking about and they're worth really wrestling with to apply to our lives in ways that work for each of us.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And should we just dive in? Should we just talk about let's them? Let's do. Yeah, let's just go right into them. And, uh, and I will put a link to this Blueprint for Happiness. I found it on the University of Arkansas website Yes, and it's there available as a free download. So I'll make sure in the show notes that it's on there so everybody can follow along and as we discuss these things. So yeah, Wally. And we should
1: describe maybe that that's a 12-page workbook that's available free. You can download the PDF and you can print it out. You can do it online, however you prefer to do it. It's all right there to walk you through applying these five principles to your own happiness.
0: I love it. Yep. Okay. So
1: to introduce the first principle, I would say that it's common for us to think when my life sorts out in these ways, when this gets fixed, when this gets improved, when this gets right, then I'll be happy. So we keep waiting for our circumstances to change. And you know... The problem with that is no matter how much better life gets, there are still problems, aren't there? There are still challenges. There are still discontents in the very best of lives. And so number one is to savor today, to notice and appreciate the good in every single day, to really cherish the simple and sweet things that are a daily gift to our lives. And, you know, like, let me put you on the spot, Jeff. Can you think of something you've savored today that has just really Felt like a blessing to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I actually left work a little early today because I wasn't feeling very well. I was just pretty tired. And so I just went home to rest. And my sweet wife came and sat on the bed next to me and held my hand. And <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Oh, and, yeah. and I just, you know, I just laid there and we just talked for a minute. And I just thought, this is all I need. This is the life. It was really sweet. And she had things going on and she just stopped for a moment just to, just to touch my hand and, and talk. And then the second thing, Wally, is on the way over here to talk with you. I found a bag of sourdough chips in the pantry and I enjoyed eating every one of those on the way over. <laughs> <laughs> the flavor, this the salt, it was absolutely fantastic.
1: Then so, you're it, doing that perfectly, <laughs> savoring, savoring these yeah. little tiny blessings all along the way, enjoying and appreciating just every little thing that happens. Sometimes, like last night, Nancy and I stepped out on our patio and looked up at the sky, and it was a unique moon that was rising over the mountain, Mm. and just enjoying the moon in a beautiful sky and a pretty evening in the company of Nancy. So, wow, these are little things. They're common things, and we often ignore them. But the foundation for happiness is noticing and appreciating the good things in every single day, every hour.
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting, Wally, is that, I mean, I'm having a pretty good day today, and I love talking to you, and so I'm feeling good. But just as you had me focus on just asking, and I only shared two, and I I had more come to mind, but I noticed a visible, like sort of a a very tangible lift in my my chest, my body, as I shared those things, and I thought about what I had, what it felt like to have Jody touching my hand, to have these chips in my mouth. I just, I, (laughs) I felt the lift, and it was instant. And so, yeah, listeners, I mean, if you are listening to this right now and thinking, "Oh, that's a little too simple." try it. I encourage you to maybe say it out loud to somebody and see what happens in your body just as you savor and and focus on something. Because I promise you there's something probably within eyesight right now that you can appreciate and value.
1: Yeah. And instead of waiting for circumstances to change, we go looking for the good things that are already in our lives. And wow, you've named a couple of beautiful ones. I mean, it's not that hard to find a bag of chips. No. There there aren't... (laughs) many amazing people like your wife, but a bag of chips can be found in many places. Or you know, how about a tall glass of water on a warm day? Yeah. How about a walk around the block? It turns out that this simple practice of looking for the good things in an ordinary day make a really big difference. Yeah. Now, we could take it to another level too, which is looking at how we tell the story of our whole lives. And so if I can just take a minute with that, Jeff, I remember when Nancy and I were having one miscarriage after another, and I really was really saddened by that. I thought, gee, we want to have kids and we're serious about taking care of them, and how come we can't have children? And I remember once when we had, I don't know, our seventh or eighth miscarriage, I went out in the backyard of our home and had a conversation with God and told him he needed to get this under control or he was going to be in trouble with me that didn't intimidate him as much as I thought it would. <laughs> we continued to have miscarriages. That one went to miscarriage, and several oh. more did, and ultimately more than 20 mm. miscarriages. And But somewhere along the line, and I don't know what number it was, but somewhere along the line, I thought, maybe I'm doing this the wrong way. Maybe what I should do is say, Heavenly Father, thank you for the miscarriage. Thank you. Now, I'd have to say in all honesty that it's not obvious why it's a blessing. But when we choose to be grateful for even difficulties, it changes something inside of us. In fact, I just start feeling so happy to think, you know, God doesn't really have to explain everything to me. And now in retrospect, we say, you know, if we'd had, you know, five, six, seven children, I think it would have been very overwhelming for my sweet and gentle Nancy. And it taught us to trust God and to be okay with life. And I cannot list all the lessons we learned from those miscarriages. So for a person who's been in the middle of pain and betrayal and hurt, and I say, try to find a way ultimately to be grateful for even that. Now, not right off the bat. We all have to heal for a while. But at some point we say, hey, have I learned something from this? Am I better because of it? Do I have more compassion for people? So even the great big things can be savored when we're at a point where we're ready to do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Wally. And I, I agree. Timing is everything. And so if you're not in a place where you're safe, if you've not had any type of healing, if you're just you know on the heels of discovery, it's going to be tough to do this. And we recognize that. But at the same time, I want you to make a space for it because there is research on post-traumatic growth. We know that people that have been through traumatic experiences can grow and do grow and want to grow. And in fact, a lot of the folks I've worked with over the years I'll run into them or or talk with them and, you know, major things have happened in their lives that they thought they would never survive. And they've seen the blessings, they've seen the joy, and it's a hard thing to talk about. And and we don't do a very good job sometimes of holding opposing realities very well. We get reactive and scared and feel overwhelmed. So you want to be able to make space for both. But if you're not in a place where this is easy to do, that's okay. Just know that there's a space for it and it will help. It really does.
1: Yes. And it's really, when we're ready, when we're peaceful enough to do it, It's a matter of changing the way we think. It's saying, okay, what are the blessings in my current situation? I mean, maybe just the fact that we had hopes and dreams. That's something that can propel us forward. Or the fact that we have had people in our lives who are trying to make things work. I mean, in any life, we can find some of those good things and we can savor them. We can be grateful for them.
0: I remember working with a woman years and years ago, and she had been terribly betrayed in her marriage. Where it just broke her, and she described herself as a just a zombie. She could hardly feed herself, and and I remember she came in one time and talked with me, and she said, "I, you know, today I'm grateful for saltine crackers and cartoons because without those, my kids wouldn't have any food and they wouldn't have any entertainment. I had nothing to give them. I was so paralyzed all day, just emotionally. And she recognized the blessing of those things, and that she was able to get a shower that day." And she started off with that, just trying to look for things that were helping her just keep her in motion and track. And I just, you know, even at a very basic level, there's support, there's things happening, there's goodness around you. And I think it takes courage and work to notice it. It does.
1: Yeah, it does. And it's a choice we can make. And when we do, it's a fateful choice. It changes our trajectory Yes. when we choose to start looking for the good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, Wally, you told me that I could pull out my cattle prod and move us on to the next one. Is that okay?
1: Yes. Can we just add one yeah. very practical way of doing that, Jeff?
0: Yeah, thank like you. Like at the
1: end of every day, I pull out my little journal, and I, and it's not a full record of my doings, but every day I hold myself accountable to sit down and say, what are the things that really were a blessing today? What went well? Those are the words Seligman uses, what went well. But I, I ask, what's a blessing? Where did I see something good showing up? Where did I see? light and goodness in my life and making a list of one or two or three or four or five or on a good day even more wow and and sometimes it's just an insight or sometimes it's like you said about Jody it's holding in my case Nancy's hand or or it's um a fresh peach or whatever it is just making a note of that and being mindful shall we say accountable for it and Jeff, as we think about this savoring idea, it really applies in multiple time directions. The second one is is savoring the past. Mm. Savoring the past. Our default setting is to ruminate. When we reflect on our past, we think about the tragedies, the hurt, the pain, the sadness. And that's there. And and I'm not saying it has to be denied. But if that's all we look for, if that's all we find, if it's all we think about, it's gonna color our present and future as well. And so There's a book that I really like. It's about the stories we tell ourselves, and the author Jefferson Singer says when we go to our past and we look for those little glowing embers of fire in our history, the good fires by which we warmed our hands, like like for instance when my dad used to build uh, forts out of bales of hay when we used to live in Granger, Utah. That's not a big thing you would think, but but it gave me this sense of wonder that one. You can build these wonderful enclosures with bales of hay and two, that my dad would do that for us. Yeah, And so that still yeah. that still illuminates my life decades later. And if we start savoring the past, if we start uh, really cherishing and remembering and valuing the good experiences we've had, it really does have an impact on us.
0: Right. And so is there any benefit at all in, you know, a lot of people, that, especially that have been hurt, they don't want to forget, Right. They don't want to forget because they worry it'll, it'll somehow they'll be sitting ducks again or they'll, so I I hear this a lot. People are, Mm -hmm. they have a hard time not understanding their history or someone else's history or trying to like really explore that and understand that. What would you say to that, Wally, as far as the balance of this, or is there a place for that? Does that matter? Is that helpful?
1: You know, let me speak in general. I think each person has their own level of pain and challenge, but in general, We sometimes recreate pain. We ensure failure by being so cynical or suspicious. You know, if we say, you know, I don't dare trust you. I won't even give you the time of day. If we say that to a person who's been important in our lives, then guess what? We're not going to have a bright future together. We're not going to have a happy present. So the be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves seems like a good motto where we use wisdom. I mean, Maybe someone who's cheated us out of money, we don't hand them our checkbook, but do we still love? Do we still value? Do we still hope for good experiences? Do we remember that there were good times, even in what were hard relationships? And do we keep the door open for new happiness in the future?
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and uh, do you still do the tradition on your Christmas tradition with Nancy as far as the year review?
1: Oh, yes, I do. Win, um, When when I had cancer, it kind of interrupted our schedule, but it's something that I still try to do, which is to sit down and review the year and write a letter for her for Christmas. She prefers a letter over anything I could buy her. Yeah. A letter where I say, look at the great blessings we've received in our lives this year. And we don't really inventory our misery. We just uh, make a list of the the ways we've felt blessed. And the, the reason that that sometimes doesn't get done is because I go through my calendar year, or day by day for the whole year and list the good things, the sweet experiences, the, the sweet people who have been a part of our lives. And then I write a letter that summarizes that. So it takes, it's a, it's a commitment. It takes some time. Yeah. But boy, does it open us up to be more attentive in our present and future. We say, wow. And, and to be honest, Jeff. Sometimes I shake my head and say, poor Heavenly Father doesn't have time for any of his other children because he's so been been so busy helping Wally and Nancy, so busy blessing them. So I think when we really when we really think about and cherish the good experiences, it sends us into the everyday with a different mindset and prepared to find more blessings. But we can still take wisdom with us. I think both of us would, would say, please don't don't be foolish. You don't have to be naive. But don't give up on happiness. Don't give up on sweetness and closeness
0: and love. Yeah, I love that. I, I often will tell people I'm working with. I'm like, you got to keep that part of you warm and active. You don't want that to go cold because yes, this one person or people have really devastated you. But you can't, you can't lose that because that's going to be a beacon. That's going to help you out of this, and it's going to keep you and others warm that you care about. You've got to nurture that, and this is this is a way to do that. And so I, I love the assignment. I love the challenge here to formally put it on paper and not just, not just think it. And, and I would also add, you know, read it out loud to somebody. There is something oh, powerful yeah. that happens and you share that just like we did today. And I just think it's a simple thing that we often overlook, but try it. See how it feels. You might be surprised.
1: And you probably know, Jeff, that for a reliable jolt of happiness, Seligman recommends that you write a letter to someone who's really made a positive difference in your life. Yeah. And write a letter to them and then if possible go and read it to them if the person is not available or has passed away or whatever read it out loud mm-hmm. and think about my 5th grade teacher changed my life by just looking at me and loving me and valuing me and I'm so grateful to Rhea Bailey so, so you write the letter even if the person is long since gone and so that's another way of uh, kind of focusing
0: on the positives in our past. That's beautiful thank you did, we kind of slid into number two, didn't we?
1: Yeah, that that was oh. <laughs> a, a lot. Of that was number two. Yes, that's right. So if we if number one is enjoying, savoring, appreciating, celebrating today, then it's also then number two is looking at the past, and number three points us to the future. Okay. A lot of us live with dread. We could ask every person to and and say, "Hey, what is it you worry about?" What is it you're afraid of? What, what do you most dread? And a lot of people, I, a lot of parents I hear saying, I'm just afraid my child will be abducted. You know, I'm just afraid some stranger from, from someplace is going to come and grab them. I'll never see my child again, or they'll be tortured and etc. etc. And so there are a lot of things we worry about. Now, just as, with that as an example, the research says that the probability that your child will be taken by a stranger is so small that it's considered zero. Scientists consider it to be essentially zero. Now, if you're in an angry custody battle, then there's a chance that your child will be snatched by an ex-spouse. But my point is about we worry about the wrong things. We spend a lot of time worrying about things, the probability of which is extremely small. So I ask each person to say, hey, what is it you worry might happen? Instead of fretting about it, how about if we look to the future in an optimistic way. We say, hey, I know that most of the bad things I've worried about aren't going to happen, and there are good things happening every day. So it's really this appreciating in three directions, the present, the past, and the future. Does that make sense to you, Jeff? Yeah.
0: No, I love that. Yeah. you know, I'm thinking about my own life, and it reminds me of uh, a fantastic BYU devotional that was given in 92 by John Tanner, One Step Enough. Do you know that one? Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, Where he talks about transcendental (laughs) (laughs) meta-worry. Worrying about worrying. Worrying about worrying, right? (laughs) And he has this great introduction in there. You should should go on the speeches.byu.edu website and look up John Tanner's talk on One Step Enough. And he's got this great introduction that's really, (laughs) boy, it just hits home about. And he talks about how the pioneers, when they got into the Salt Lake Valley, they suffered more from fear of Lyme disease than they actually suffered from Lyme disease. And then he talks about this transcendental meta worry where you can really get yourself worked up into a state of worrying about worrying. And it's just it's it's funny because it's true, right? We all do it. And I'm certainly one of those that has some Olympic, you know, level moments of worry where I can really, as my grandmother says, borrow some trouble in my brain and (laughs) and really come up with some pretty good scenarios that make me pretty miserable. And I appreciate that, Wally. And it's it's really about faith, right? It's really for me, like how I get out of it. It's it's a reflective moment where I think, God's on my side. And and I, you know, as they often I've heard some people say, you know, you've survived one hundred percent of your bad days, you know? And so I, I look back Beautiful. and I and I think, okay, and look for the helpers, as Mr. Roger says. I mean, there's just there's support, there's 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 love, there's we're making it through and we're doing our best. And most of the things that we worry about actually never happen. I've learned that in my life. And I'm just so yeah, I'm so I'm grateful for this emphasis on it because whether you get stuck in the present, past, or future, I think the answer is the same, which is right. Focus on what's on what's good, what's working. Look for you know up with a spirit of gratitude, and it'll it, you know it frees you up because you can get paralyzed in any one of those three or all three at the same time.
1: <laughs> and sometimes I think we we wouldn't express it this way, but we have to imagine that God's kind of gotten busy. He's he's yeah. joined a bowling league and picked up a few hobbies. And he's just not available in the future. And I would say the same God who's gotten us through the past will get us through today and tomorrow and the next day and onto a glorious future. And every step of the way, we can even see those stupid mistakes we've made as stepping stones, as learning, as development. And that's a hard thing to do. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've kind of wished I would be wise and sensible. And, and too often I have not been. Right. And so I, uh, I am learning just now to say okay heavenly father i'm grateful for the experience i'm grateful that you're a faithful friend and that's why i think jesus says look to me in every thought doubt not fear not look to him not to doubt or fear don't even look to our own capacity but no god's
0: in the future he's in tomorrow just as much as he's ever been in the past boy and that the truth yeah, I don't think it's any accident that every time angels or heavenly messengers come to visit humans, the first thing they tell us to do is stop being afraid. <laughs> I think we're, they probably they probably just look at us down here like, those poor people are just running around scared to death, but we've got it. We've got it. They're going to be okay. <laughs> I love that. Oh my love goodness. That. Yeah. I uh, Yeah. It's interesting, Wally. I had this beautiful experience. I don't know if I shared this with you or not, but I was looking at some pictures. I was having a really fearful fretting day some time ago and my mother had sent me a file of some pictures of my ancestors and one of them I didn't recognize I didn't I didn't know who she was and because we'd never really talked about her before and I, I realized it was my my mother's grandmother who you know passed away when she was young and we just never really talked about her and she lived back east anyway long story short Wally I sat there and felt really strongly that she was cheering me on and I did I don't even know her. I don't know anything about her. I just started to really dig into some of her, her stories. And uh, she wasn't a member of our faith or anything. And I and I just felt this really powerful sense that she was reassuring me that it's all gonna work out, that everything worked out for her, it'll be okay. And I can't wait wow. to get I can't wait to meet her and just say, So, do you remember that time when I was sitting there at my desk in twenty twenty, starting to seize up and you reassured me? And and I, I just think that people on both sides of the veil and when you sit down with a good friend, when you sit down with somebody who's been through it all, an ancestor, I just think that there's so much wisdom in just trusting that things are going to work out and focusing on on what's working and what's good. I mean, oh boy. it's just beautiful.
1: Yeah. You know, Jeff, it's one of the amazing blessings of studying your ancestors' lives yeah. to, re- to realize that there's a whole crowd of people who really are cheering for us, who love us. And they see our mistakes, and they think that's okay. Right. Let me tell you what's ahead. Right. God's got this, and and we're looking after you. It's going to be all right. Yeah. And wow, if we if we took that seriously, what a difference it would make if we just realized that the the angel, the mountains were filled with angels looking after us.
0: Yeah. Just let that savor in, my friends. Like, there's a lot of truth in that, and. I visualize in my mind a, like a finish line, and I know there's no finish line, but I imagine maybe a, a threshold, right? Where they're at the edge of it, just cheering us forward, and they just want us to get to the perspective that they've achieved. It's just a beautiful thought. And so life is hard. There's a lot, yes. of, there's a lot of real suffering and real challenges, and I, I'm the last guy to minimize any of that. But what you're saying, Wally, will help lift and lighten the challenge and the struggle. I know that in my own life and I've seen it in the lives of people that I love and that I work with as well. So,
1: And when we're filled with shame, then we assume that everyone is looking sneeringly at us, looking down on us in a really negative way. Yeah. But if we ever start to glimpse how much God and all those who are with him love us, it can really be very empowering.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. Should we move on so to the number? See, okay. Yeah.
1: Well, if we summarize these first three, okay. it's really about savoring each moment today and cherishing our past, looking to forward to the future. It's really, it's really changing our minds to appreciate the possibilities. And then we move to a, a, another whole domain. Number four in uh, authentic happiness is, is that idea of knowing and using our strengths. Knowing and using our strengths. That's a pretty tall order most of us do much more inventorying of our shortcomings than of yeah, our strengths for sure and sometimes fail to recognize that even our shortcomings are really an expression of our strengths like uh, my creativity manifests itself as uh, making excuses for buying everything i want at the grocery store including ridiculous <laughs> amounts of uh, mayonnaise and 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 you might think uh, that's kind of a character flaw wally and i would say It's inextricably connected to enthusiasm and uh, can only be managed when we combine wisdom with our strengths. But instead of seeing our faults as just faults, maybe we see them as a strength that hasn't yet been matched with wisdom. And um, there are a lot of ways. I'm sure you know many, Jeff. One of my favorites is the, the VIA Survey of Character Strengths, where we can, free of charge, go to the authentic happiness website and answer 240 items and it'll tell us of the 24 strengths identified in humans across human history what are your top five Mm. what are the things that you excel at and uh knowing that can help us understand not only what we ought to be doing but why we did some of the things we shouldn't be doing right our strengths create a lot of happiness and certain challenges as well and it's such a blessing to know those. And there are lots of ways of knowing our strengths. There are many, many instruments and processes too, you know, getting feedback from people, et cetera. But what matters is we really get a handle on our strengths and have a sense that, wow, God has equipped me for a joyous, meaningful, and growth-filled life. that make sense to you, Jim?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I remember you talking about this back in uh, 1996 when I first met you. It, it really opened up a lot for me at that time. I don't think I'd ever hear anybody talk about it this way, because of course I had been taught sort of the the myth of self esteem, as you put it, which is just to focus on making people feel good about themselves. But it's hollow uh, it because is. we know we know honestly that we fall short and that you know we have kind of an imposter syndrome. <laughs> we feel like we're not always what we believe. But the strengths really transcend that. The strengths can be there even in our weakness and when we stumble and when we. Are less than what we should be our strengths are just who we are and we can still extend and offer those which is to me it's just so much more i just feel like it's it's more hopeful right i think i don't have to just feel good all the time i can actually find a reliable path to that by knowing and understanding and using those strengths and it and it really opened up giving myself permission to understand myself better and also be gracious when people complimented me for things that i was doing well i didn't have to feel like i had to dismiss that because you know, you can be grateful for the gifts because they're not mine. I didn't, right? I didn't design them. And yes. it's more of a discovery, which I think is what uh, you would ta- you had, When you were at Auburn, Alabama, you had uh, developed a, a program for young people?
1: Uh-huh. Called The Great Self-Mystery. Great Self-Mystery, yeah. Yeah. And we talked about five principles. Five principles that I think are well substantiated by science and also by our faith. With the first being everyone has a gift. Nobody has every gift. And so comparing ourselves with others is is really damaging. And then we have gifts so we can bless others. We don't have gifts to aggrandize ourselves, to get rich or famous. We have gifts to make the world a better place. And then we should keep growing. Number four is to keep growing. And number five is to, to use our gifts to bless God's children and to be thankful for them. To always be filled with gratitude for the gifts he's given us.
0: Yeah, what a powerful message for all of us, but certainly for young people as they're developing and comparing a lot and trying to fit in and to know that they don't have to be like so-and-so, that they have their own set of gifts that they can then use to bless other people. It's a powerful principle.
1: That identity process for adolescents is so painful. I, I don't know very many people who sail through that and come out the other end thinking, man, I'm feeling like I have a purpose in life. Most of us feel pretty beat up and pretty confused and enter adulthood, uh, not prepared. So maybe sometime we ought to talk about those five principles in some depth.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Can I have you back on for 50 more episodes, Wally? (laughs) Yeah, you betcha, Jeff. Perfect. So this strength in the download, the, the PDF that the blueprint happened, does it have that test in it or is, is it has a shortened version of it?
1: short version. What we did is take the 24 strengths and just had one item that kind of hints at what it is like. The first one is creativity. And it asks the question or makes the statement, I love to make new things. Then you decide how much you agree with that. If that's very, very true of you, then that may mean creativity is one of your strengths. So the 24 signature strengths, or excuse me, the 24 strengths are listed there. And then you can respond to the short version or you can go online. And complete the 240 item. Now you can take the test for free, but they will be glad to sell you all kind of interpretive materials for as much money as you have. <laughs> so uh, I, I think for most of us that's not not okay. essential. There are other ways. You know the um, the Strengths Finder approach is a good one too. The Gallup folks have created a Strengths Finder. So or the Myers Briggs gives us some feedback or. Various personality inventories like the 16PF, or and and so depending on what resources you you have, if you have a neighbor who's a counselor or a school psychologist, you know, ask them. Do you have some assessments that would help me really zero in on my strengths?
0: I love that, and I love the idea that you know we talk a lot about celebrating diversity, and there's obviously a national dialogue about that. But this is so much bigger than just race and ethnicity and other things. This is. Each person, even somebody who you think is just like you, <laughs> right? There's oh there's just so much to explore and be curious about and discover about other people and yourself. And nobody is just plain old vanilla. Like there's just there's so you know, much. It's dynamic. It's beautiful.
1: You know, Jeff, when you said uh, vanilla, I thought of when I talk to young people. I often talk about the fact that each of us could name a favorite food. So imagine that maybe you're vanilla ice cream and someone else is butter pecan ice cream and someone else is pickles and somebody has green olives and somebody's pizza and somebody has cheese enchiladas. And if we took a pound of everyone's favorite food and put it in a mixture and blended it, would we have then a universal food that everybody loves? And the answer is resoundingly no. Mm. And so somehow one of the chief jobs of, of living on this planet is to learn to appreciate, well, green olives may not be our favorite food we're sure grateful that there are people who are such amazing olives. And there are people who are really great ice cream and people who are good pizza and appreciate those differences. Don't you think, Jeff, that sometimes our unhappiness in relationships is because we criticize people for not being what we wish we were. We ourselves are not that, but we look at others and say, well, they're not kind and compassionate and helpful, et cetera, et cetera. And we think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm not either, but I wish I were. And and because they're not, I'm going to resent them. And I think if we got to be the kind of people who just looked at people and said, hey, look how amazing they are at this, that, or the other, it sure makes it uh, a lot better world.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's a great analogy. I'm trying to imagine what that would taste like. Um...
1: <laughs> Should we try it? Should we get a group together and everyone nominate, have everyone bring a
0: pound of their favorite food? <laughs> Sounds like a really awful fear factor challenge. I don't... So Wally, I'm curious, I know, that, I know that in the Doctrine and Covenants, it talks about seeking the best gifts, and I'm curious if there's a, a strength that you don't have, how successful are we in developing? I mean, we, we have obviously, you know, we have some innate gifts, some God-given gifts that are just hardwired into us, but what about seeking different gifts? I mean, how successful can we be with that?
1: The Lord's counsel is to seek the best gifts, always remembering for what they're given. So if that's worth doing. I think that ought to be combined with one of the mantras of positive psychology which is use your strengths and manage your weaknesses. So for instance, I'm not the best report maker. I I'm, I'm not you know making detailed reports etc. So when I worked at the university and and they required reports, I would go to my colleague who loves that kind of stuff and I'd say let's work together on reports and he would say okay and you take the lead in creating a new program. Because I had the creativity mm. and he had the detailed orientation. Right. So I do believe we should be out of the frontier enlarging our strengths, but I don't think we should kid ourselves that we'll conquer all of them. That's why we use our strengths and manage our weaknesses.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah, because otherwise we wouldn't need other people. And, and I think it's also a recipe for misery because mm-hmm. I'm the same way, Wally. Like I've been trying for a lot of years to care about balancing my checkbook and <laughs> it's not going very well.
1: <laughs> that's not going to be your strength, huh? but you Jody, you know, dollars.
0: Jody, she feels the spirit in the dollar store. I mean, she loves saving money and <laughs> she loves just caring about organizing the money and making everything fit just right. And anyway, I'm just grateful for her and I'm sure she's grateful for me because we'll splurge occasionally and do something fun that would push her outside of her budget a little bit. And yeah, I agree. Like we really managing those weaknesses, that's kind of how it is, right? Just try and respect uh-huh. and honor our own limitations and also recognize the impact we have on others, but do our best with it. And
1: think about what we often do spiritually in our journey. We, we often look at what our greatest identified weaknesses are and think that's where we have to start. Mm. That is a contract with misery Yep. to think we have to really focus on our greatest weaknesses. I love and, that. And ultimately, theologically we believe that God gave us weaknesses and he will remove them as we turn to him. And that formula is a lot better than thinking that somehow by systematic work, we're going to conquer all the strengths.
0: Yeah. And it I reminds me in uh, Wendy Ulrich, I think the therapist and author, she said something that really changed my mind on this. She said, she pointed on that same scripture. She said, recognize that weakness is singular. It's not weaknesses. It's not like God gave us a list of weaknesses that we'll overcome someday. We are just born weak. We're built that way. He built us. He's the author of us being fallen and struggling so that we'll turn to him and, he, and others. And it's not sin. It's just our conditioning. And uh, so this idea that you know we have weaknesses and other people have more than us or whatever, we just are weak and fallen. Yes, yes. And, and, and it's okay. the
1: common inheritance of humans. That's right. So when we recognize that, then it changes our objective in life, which is not to conquer every strength that matters, but it's rather to conquer our own pride and turn ourselves over to the one who can make us perfect and his promise he will. That's job one, is uh, to go to him.
0: And so discovering our strengths and using our strengths to bless other people is, again, for our own happiness and, of course, the happiness of others, but it really has an effect on us personally, which is what we're talking about today instead of just focusing on the more obvious weaknesses and the struggles, which are right in front of us all the time. So it takes a little more work to look for the strengths and to embrace them. I think, I know it is for me sometimes to to discover those things and stay with them, but it's been a fun journey looking at it, embracing it, and just rejoicing in the author and the, the giver of the gift.
1: Yes, yes. So And notice how naturally this, this idea of knowing and using our strengths leads to the fifth and final point. When we know and use our strengths, then we also dedicate some portion of them to serving and blessing others. And so service is number five. What's funny, Jeff, about this formulation is when I I read Seligman's work, it sounds to me like it came right out of a Sunday school class. But Seligman himself is not a believer, and uh, it's coming for him directly out of science. So we're right at the intersection of science and religion. Where the two testimonies teach us the way to be happy, to be productive, to lead a meaningful life. And in, in Seligman's formulation, when we start dedicating some part of our resources, our time, our energy, our talents to serving and blessing others, our lives become truly the word he uses is meaningful, meaningful. And so it's pleasant to have those early things, the savoring, and then it's the good life where we know and use our strengths when we're really synchronized with our capabilities and then it's the meaningful life when we add service when we put all three of those together we have what he calls the full life that's the whole thing the whole enchilada where yeah. we've got all those parts put together
0: it really is progressive i mean to really yes. start and just be still a notice and savor does ultimately lead us to serving and, and using those strengths to, to care for other people mm-hmm yeah. Now,
1: I, I should offer this caveat that in a later book, Seligman added a couple other things to, to his formulation. One oh. is his accomplishment, one was relationships. And I certainly think those are vitally important. I think his cleanest, strongest model, though, of the formula for happiness is the one we've talked about today with those five points. I think that's the one that really has the strong empirical backing and makes complete sense.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I know that a lot of the times... I've seen this happen a lot, where somebody who's been, you know, run over by betrayal, or or they're suffering deeply from depression, or they're struggling in their marriage, they'll go to a well-meaning friend or priesthood leader or parent, and the first thing they'll say is, "Well, just serve someone," mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah. this person can barely lift themselves off the ground, and they're just really wounded. What would you say to that? I mean, do we do we sort of like obviously we help people kind of get to safety? We Bind up the wounds. We we work to get people stabilized. I know that, but to, for some people, that can feel like they just don't have the capacity to serve. They feel like they can barely take care of themselves. They feel like they struggle to, you know, do the basics. And they just it feels like a lot of pressure and guilt, and maybe even some maybe some sense of failure that they can't do this thing that supposedly is going to help them. And Jesus told us to do right. They just feel so yeah, terrible. Yeah. What would you say to that? I'd say there's even more
1: bad advice we commonly give that in addition to going out and serving and forgetting yourself, we often say what you need to do is read the scriptures more and pray more. So what we're really doing is piling obligation on top of somebody who's already feeling crushed by life. You know, and when you've got a steel girder across your chest crushing the life out of you, you don't appreciate someone sitting on it and adding extra burdens. And so In all these things, I recommend that uh, we not think in terms of obligation, but in terms of relationship. When we realize when we're at the edge of destruction, that really there's only one who saves. There's only one who heals our souls and move into a relationship with him. And if we've already got a relationship, great. Renew it, refresh it, enlarge it. But if we don't, if we have always thought of him as the Heavenly accountant, who's keeping track of our shortcomings, then we need to—we uh, will not find relief, I think, until we build that relationship, until we let him hold us. Remember what what Lehi said at the end of his life—that he said, "The Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love." And you know, life sometimes is hell, and yet. The only real remedy is to be encircled in the arms of his love. So I guess my answer, coming back more specifically to service, service does make people happy, but sometimes we imagine it's the service we've never done and always hated. What about the service we already do of setting out the saltine crackers and turning on the cartoons? That's service. That's service for our kids. And it means it's a a lot better than some of the things we might have done And maybe the service is something as simple as um, just saying hello to a neighbor or really simple things that start with what comes naturally, start with what God gives us the power to do. And that circle will grow over time. And then, intriguingly, it also helps heal us of our self-orientation, that total absorption in our pain. But for people to try to drag someone to a project that their spirit isn't ready to go to is not the solution is it
0: yeah no i love that and i it reminds me of the the council i i think it was it's in both places where king benjamin in the book of Mosiah and also in uh, alma the waters of mormon talks about if you have then give oh yeah right and if you don't have then you need to be given too and and so sometimes i agree that sometimes you're you know we all sometimes are in a position in life where we're the ones that just need to be cared for put on the back of the donkey and carry to the end, right? That's sometimes that's just us. Yeah. We're pretty yeah. beat up. And and sometimes we can be the one doing the, this lifting and helping and, and sometimes yeah. both, but, but I think it's also, like you said, it's wise to just honor where you are. And if you're feeling resentful and struggling and guilty, maybe it's too much right now and that's okay. We can. And it's
1: not needful that you run faster than you're able.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God doesn't
1: expect us to, I mean, as you gave the perfect metaphor, which is the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Sometimes we just need somebody to put us on the donkey and carry us to to the end. But once healed, then we might become travelers who make that journey between Jerusalem and Jericho, looking for others who are injured and offering them healing. But
0: each thing in its own time. Yeah, that's just wise. I just know, and I hear this in my own life, but also in the good people I work with, Boy, there's just so many messages internally and externally about what we should be doing and what makes a good person. And even a podcast like this can sometimes drive people to feel like they're failing. And, and I, I really hope as you're listening that this just doesn't become another list of things that you're not doing, but instead uh, an invitation just to start to look for maybe a different way to, to feel happiness. And, and if you're feeling overwhelmed with that, I would just encourage you to start with number one, which is just savor what's around you right now. And you can stay there as long as you need to. I promise you it'll it'll start to move you forward. It has me. And I'm grateful for the the research, the wisdom, the sharing. Wally, as we wrap this up, no pressure, but do you have any concluding words? <laughs> Sometimes it can feel like
1: <laughs> You know, Jeff, we often we often have sought happiness in all the ways that don't work very well. Yeah. And I'm grateful that we have as a scientific community gotten wise enough. To say, here are the things that actually do work. Yeah. Do these in, in, with wisdom and in order, and it will make a difference. So I would say that we ought to be patient with ourselves, compassionate with ourselves, but we ought to also look towards those things that will make a difference in our well being. Wonderful.
0: Wally, thank you. It's been great thank talking you, with Jeff. you. So <laughs> yeah. I'll put links to where people can find you and all your great resources and books. Um, I'll make sure that's all in the show notes. And I promise you, listeners, if you haven't spent any time beyond this one hour with Wally, I encourage you to spend some more time in some of the things he's written and produced. He's a creative and, and lovely person and just grateful for your enthusiasm and your, your time today. So we'll have you back on for another episode. Thanks, Wally.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jeff.